Uh, let us turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 16. You'll notice the title of, of the sermon looking at this text here is Authentic Christianity. And, and when we look at it, uh, it was Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. I don't know if you know of that name, but he was a, a, a Welsh minister, minister in uh, England uh, who for around 30 years or so preached at the Westminster Chapel. And his sermons were majestic. They were wonderful. And uh, made into books and so on. Uh, but uh, he described this passage as, here we see authentic Christianity and nothing else. He said, there's something about this particular incident that distills, as it were, what Christianity is essentially all about, real Christianity. And of course, I would add what Jesus Christ was all about. Uh, so as we read this, this uh, passage from Scripture, uh, let us think in terms of applying it to the life of our church and of us. Will you please stand as we read God's holy and precious and infallible word together. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, Look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. Walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With a leap he stood upright and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. And while he was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran to gather together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Why do you gaze at us? As if by our own power or piety we had made him walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him, but you disowned the Holy One and Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. You put to death the Prince of Life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know, and the faith that comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. Our Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. 
Well, let us begin to try to list some of the marks uh, of authentic Christianity that we find here. First, we find the devotion. We find the commitment. We find the desire. I, one assumes that when uh, Peter and John were going at the hour of prayer up to the temple that they were going to pray. And I would suppose that was true. In a, in a temple service, services begin at 9 a.m. Uh, after the temple crier has cried out for the priests and the Levites to wake up <laughs> and get busy. And at 9 a.m., by then, they're supposed to, to have a whole offering uh, that they, they perform. And during that time and after an hour of prayer, and also in the afternoon at 3 p.m., they sort of close up shop, so to speak, with an afternoon uh, burn offering. Uh, and, and at that time, they would begin to pray and have an, an hour of prayer. And it was at this time uh, that, that they were going there. And there were, uh, the priests would have been prostrating themselves. The, the Levites, some of them would be singing on the steps uh, leading up into the, into the holy uh, place of the temple. The people would be gathering in the courts and the inside and the women's courts and the Gentile courts and the various courts that surround uh, the, the temple proper. And large crowds would be there. Large crowds would be there. And they'd be, for prayer, reciting the Shema. You know the Shema. Uh, not a schema or Shema, but the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and so on. And that Shema, when they recited, was all the way from verse 4 to 9 in, in the, the Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 6, not just verse 4. Uh, or, or five, and they'd also be reciting what's called the Shemona Esrei. It, that means literally 18 benedictions. Uh, and so on. Blessed art thou, you, O Lord. And there were 18 different kinds of benedictions that they would be reciting at this time. So into this court, with all these people, at this particular time of the afternoon, come Peter and John, prefer, uh, pre presumably to pray. Uh, they weren't separating themselves from the Jewish community. Now they're Christians, now they're separate. No. They went right into the middle of them. They, were, they weren't cutting themselves off from the people, except quite the opposite. They were right there with them. But I'm sure they must have been conflicted in some way in their minds because of, instead of praying uh, the... Shemona Esrei, or, or saying the Shema, or the like. Of course, they could say the Shema, and that would be perfectly true uh, for them to do so. Uh, they would probably be praying the prayer that the, that the Lord taught them to pray. You know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And, and as they're there for the, for the whole offering, the burnt uh, offering uh, that was being offered, they sure, surely would have understood that Christ's death, that all of that pointed forward to the death of Christ. And we remember what Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1, 18-19. Know that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, you know, the burnt offerings, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. And so... They must have been conflicted in some way, but nonetheless, they realized the unity, the relationship between the Old Testament covenant and what was becoming the, the new covenant uh, 
with the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Also, I thought it would be good for us to just pause. We're trying to understand those marks of authentic Christianity uh, that, that are here in this text. I want to just, pre- just briefly go back to more of the context in the end of chapter 2. Raise the question, how many days have passed by since Peter's first sermon? Look at this carefully as I read this and think about how, it, how this these marks of the early church apply to us today. At the end of chapter 2, we read, Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. That, That took time to do. Day by day, that took time continuing with one mind in the temple. So they were in the temple during this time as well. And breaking bread from house to house. They were eating together. Uh, Many people believe that that is a reference to the Lord's Supper. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So how many days? I don't know, but probably a number of them, but not all that much. I mean, they're still growing and and developing. Some people believe that by the end of Acts, there were probably 600,000 or more people who came to know the Lord in, in the area we now know as Israel. We grew. These are some of the marks of the church as they were growing. And so here Peter is entering into the temple proper, proper, and we read, And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day. I want to state it a little differently. I believe this is a bit better because what's, these are imperfect uh, tenses in Greek, which can be understood as customary or habitual. What habitually or customarily happened. Okay, And the way we ought to understand it is not that he was asking for alms while they were carrying him, but he was sitting there by the gate beautiful because we would translate like this. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb, who uh, habitually was being carried along and habitually was being laid beside uh, and facing the gate beautiful. That, that makes an awful lot more sense in order to beg alms of those who were entering the gate of uh, the temple When he saw Peter and John going to the temple, he began asking for alms. Think of the hopelessness of this man. It it defined his life. Think of the discouragement, defeat, the frustration that marked him. He had no thoughts of being healed. Chapter 4 says he was in this condition for over 40 years. So he wasn't a young whippersnapper just sitting there asking for arms. It had taken his toll on him. You know, there are a lot of hopeless people in the world today. As we heard in the prayer that Bill so eloquently uh, prayed, uh, so many people in the world who need the Lord, who need the Lord. We had in Hollywood, Florida, when I was there, we had a lady who's now... uh, gone to be with the Lord, died of cancer. Beautiful voice, beautiful voice. 
And I had her sing every two or three months. People need the Lord. People need the Lord. People need the Lord. You know that song? And she would sing it, and we'd, our hearts would melt and cry. But it's a reality. It's a reality. There's a hopelessness in, in the world. Conflicting ideas on where and what it was happening. We've talked about uh, how it was happening, but where the gate beautiful was, I probably shouldn't take time to talk about this, but, some, but I will anyway. Some think it was by the Shushan Gate. The Shushan Gate is the eastern gate that, that looks out toward, toward the uh, Mount of Olives. And uh, the Shushan uh, Gate is all sealed up now. It all has rocks and, and, and so on to seal up the entrance. And there's a, a Muslim cemetery outside of, of the wall. And this was all done in the 1500s by the Ottoman Empire, the, 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 the uh, uh, king or whatever it was of the Ottoman Empire uh, uh, said that it should be done because he understood that the Jews understood that the Messiah, that the Messiah was going to come in that gate. But the Messiah would not come in that gate if that gate uh, were shut up and, there was a, and he had to walk over a Muslim cemetery. And I probably shouldn't tell you this either, but, and it might preclude you from ever electing my son John uh, to the office of elder again. <laughs> but when we lived in Jerusalem for a year, uh, John, along with his older brother Paul, would climb out the window in their little room on the first floor of apartment that we, that we uh, were in. And they would take off. We lived on the, off the road to Bethlehem, and they would go and get into Jerusalem. And they would w climb around the Muslim graves. And I, it's surprising he's still alive and here with us today. <laughs> if you want to know where anything is in Jerusalem, just ask John. Anyway, I, that, was a, that was a parenthesis. Uh, but Joseph, where, where was the gate beautiful? That wasn't the gate. After all of that, that wasn't the gate. Josephus identifies it on the east end of the temple proper, the, the real temple, between the court of the Gentiles and the court of the, the women. But wherever it was, there was a man lame from birth sitting there begging, and there was an evident need staring them right in the face, poverty-stricken, begging, begging for money, a cripple, he can't stand, he can't walk, he can't do anything but beg. And here comes the church. Here comes people of God. Here come Peter and John. And we read, when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixing his gaze on him, said, Look on us. And he began to give them attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. Walk. Now, this verse lacks something that the King James Version says that I think is better. The King James Version says, Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. We don't have any money, but I think we have something you will like better. 
the power of Christ to heal you from your infirmity. There are a lot of things in the world that people need and people want, and, and they need. They really do need, and money is one of them. Uh, but there's something that we know they need even more. And that's our Lord Jesus Christ. That's to know God. That's to know Him and, and life. Such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ and Nazarene, rise up and walk. And then the healing and joy and zeal begin to take place. Seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were strengthened. He tells him to rise up and walk, but then he goes and grabs him and helps him. Sometimes we need to do that, as we're also sharing with them things having to do with, with, with life. And with a leap, he stood upright, began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Can you imagine what an experience that was? Not only for him, but for Peter and John, and for, for everybody there looking, looking on. I can just see this guy taking, uh, how, how do you learn how to walk? You have to practice a little bit. But he's got to probably stumble a little bit, figuring out what, what's going on here. He, they say he ends up leaping. And at the same time, in this somber setting where they're saying the Shemona Esrei, and they're, say, and they're saying uh, the Shema, and, and all of this type of thing, and they're offering the sacrifice, he's praising God. Praising God. Coming from the heart. You think you could have stopped? I doubt it. Think of how all of this developed. First of all, you have Peter and John, you have two men going for, from devotion and desire to pray and to be with the Lord in prayer, uh, going into the temple, see a need confronting them. They're, then they don't push the need aside. They're, they're responding to the need. And in response to the need, it says they had compassion, having compassion on them and showing compassion and care, care for them. And then you have the he healing. You have, the, have him being served, having him receive what, what is there uh, to be, to be re received. And, and then you're about to have all the people saying, oh, wow, what's going on? And a sermon following that. These are the marks of authentic Christianity. Of authentic Christianity reminds you of Christ, doesn't it? You remember leper coming to him? First of all, it says before that that he had a whole night of prayer. And then at, at, after that whole night of prayer, he was... He was going around to different synagogues teaching. And in the middle of that, uh, a leper comes and falls down at, at his feet on his knees. Says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, felt compassion. And put his hands on the leper and said, I will be clean. And healing took place. And then he said, don't, don't tell anybody because he didn't want, want to. Uh, to get into a situation that actually it ended in. But he went out and he started praising God and he started telling people what had happened in his life. It's a similar kind of a thing here. They're, they're following the example of Jesus, I think, uh, as, as to what uh, he would do in this. These are all marks, all traits of authentic Christianity. And then we go on and read about the impact on the people. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of 
of the temple to beg alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. C.S. Lewis calls this miracle an interference with nature by a supernatural power. He says, while he was still clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together so in, into the portico of Solomon. Portico of Solomon were these humongous uh, uh, columns that were lined up uh, opposite uh, the outside wall of the temple uh, platform and by the Chushan Gate, you know, and all around the outside, the, there are these humongous uh, columns. We have a picture of my little nine-year-old John uh, by, by one of them. And do you remember that column? You don't? Heaven's sakes alive. Here I take him to Jerusalem and he forgets what he was seeing there. It was big. It was big, John. You, you look small beside it. Uh, and and uh, this was the larger area where people would, could gather and, and, and be. And then Peter had this wonderful opportunity to share the gospel. When Peter saw this, this being that the, the, the people saw this man clinging to them. He had to, he had to clarify this. He had to, to explain this. He replied, Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Why do you gaze at us? As if by our own power or piety we had made him walk. Only natural for people to look at Peter and John. I mean, who else are they going to look at? But Peter quickly dispels, why do you look at us? Then Peter uses this opportunity to share the gospel. And it's a hard gospel, especially at that time for those people. He said, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that was their God. The God of our fathers, that was their God. You see a parallelism there in how he, he emphasizes God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, God of our fathers. Has glorified his servant, Jesus. Jesus. Think of where they're coming from. Has glorified his servant, Jesus. The one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. You disowned the Holy One, Holy and Righteous One, and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. You put to death the Prince of Life, the One whom God raised from the dead, a fact to, to which we are witnesses, and on the basis of faith in His name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know, and faith which comes through Him has given Him the perfect health in the presence of you all. There's an awful lot in those four verses. But there are several important elements of this message here. He begins, as I said, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the God of fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. He, he immediately points to Jesus. Okay. Secondly, then notice how he convicts them of their sin. You delivered and disowned his servant Jesus. You disowned in the place of a murderer the holy and righteous one. You put to death the prince of life, the Messiah. That was to come. You put to death. However, he goes on to say, but God's raised him from the dead. And on the basis of faith in his name, the name of Jesus, who's now alive, the name of Jesus, which has strengthened this man whom you see and know, the faith which comes through him and has given him perfect health in the presence of you all, it, it's a faith that comes through Jesus. It's his name, Jesus' name, he is a risen uh, 
person, Jesus is. It's faith in his name that has made him well. Trusting in him. And after this scathing critique of the people standing there, telling them that they had renounced their own Messiah, he softens the blow a bit. He says, now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your rulers did also. But the things that God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. He offers an excuse to some degree their ignorance, uh, and yet, and he also is still not too late for you. You can still respond. It says in verse 19, which you don't have in front of you unless you have your Bibles open, therefore repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So this is authentic Christianity. It all begins with devotion to the Lord which leads to realization of a need which confronts us all the time so that we can minister to that need, respond in compassion. And when that need is, is met, then it's filled with joy and, and fellowship and praise and leaping, which then leads to impacting the people around us and concludes with the sharing of the gospel. Can't conclude until the gospel is shared and stressing how one comes to faith in Jesus Christ. Defines our DNA. It's the marks of authentic Christianity. Let me close by saying this. You, you see the directness, the critique, the direct appeal of this sermon? You delivered and disowned his sermon. You disowned in the place of a murderer. You put to death the the fact that, that we come before a holy and righteous God, but these kinds of statements should be said to us as well. These come across strongly. They ought to come across to us strongly in terms of the fact that he bore our sin in his own body on the tree that we might die to sin and live unto righteousness, for by his stripes we are healed. How popular would this kind of preaching be in today's churches? Is this the way they were, they, this is the way they were preaching then with confrontation and proclamation, with boldness and conviction, ending with a call to repentance and a promise of a future. Every sermon in Acts is like this. And that's why the apostles and Christians spent so much time in prison and the arena. But that is also why the gospel spread so powerfully and rapidly. They made allegiance and loyalty to Jesus Christ, the issue in the world. Whom are you going to serve?